Welcome to Zero Knowledge. I'm your host, Anna Rose. In this podcast, we will be exploring the latest in zero knowledge research and the decentralized web, as well as new paradigms that promise to change the way we interact and transact online. This week, I chat with Zach Williamson from Aztec. We cover the history of Plonk, from the start of the idea all the way up to his recent work, Goblin Plonk. We chat about Noir, the ZKDSL, as well as other advancements in the field, all of which have made a path for Aztec to release Aztec 3, their planned private programmable L2. We also do a quick catch-up on the state of ZK applications, folding schemes, and what's on the horizon in our space. Now, before we kick off, I do want to direct you to the ZK Jobs Board. There you'll find jobs from top teams working in ZK. So if you're looking to jump into the field professionally, be sure to check it out. And if you're a team looking to find great talent, be sure to add your job to the ZK Jobs Board as well. I've added the link in the show notes. Now, Tanya will share a little bit about this week's sponsor. Alio is a new layer one blockchain that achieves the programmability of Ethereum, the privacy of Zcash, and the scalability of a rollup. If you're interested in building private applications, then check out Alio's programming language called Leo. Leo enables non-cryptographers to harness the power of ZKPs to deploy decentralized exchanges, hidden information games, regulated stablecoins, and more. Visit developer.alio.org to learn more. For questions, join their Discord at alio.org forward slash Discord. So thanks again, Alio. And now, here's our episode. I want to welcome you back to the show, Zach. Hey there. This is your fourth time on the show. And in prep for this, I was digging through the archives to figure out, like, when did we first meet? What were you talking about then? What were the other episodes? So I'm going to give a little roundup. Awesome. In May 2019, you came on to talk about Aztec, which you are still doing and we will talk about today. In January 2020, you introduced Plonk with Ariel which we were we will also be talking about today. In April 2021, you introduced this concept of the ZKZK rollup mm. because uh, I was doing a series at the time of like all about rollups and yours was the ZKZK one. Would you say is Aztec still a ZKZK rollup? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Okay. Uh, I mean, we are definitely ZKZK rollup um with the option of supporting ZK rollups within our ZKZK rollup. So you, possibly, <laughs> possibly multiple ZKs. Uh, we'll see. Wow. And yeah, and then in June or July 2022, so last year, I actually had some of your teammates on the show. Joe and Charlie came on to talk about Aztec Connect, ZK Money, and then told they, they sort of teased this idea of Aztec 3. And I think that's what we're going to be talking about today. Yeah, very happy to, to shell Aztec 3 for as long as I can. Cool, cool. There's a bunch of things I want to talk about, but I know that I want to start on the Aztec front and get mm. a catch up from you, especially because like even since that interview last year, I mean, ZK Money and like, I don't know if that's still a focus. So I think we should yeah. hear what's going on with Aztec Connect. What's yeah, going yeah. on with ZK Money? So very happy to talk about that. Um, but I'm Actually, should, we, should we go yeah, back yeah. to the start? Because cause we first we first met and started talking about this back when, you know, the world was in black and white and it was a long time ago. Uh <laughs> Because yeah, it's been it's been several years. Um, but there is there is a narrative here, which is basically like when when I got started with zero knowledge cryptography, the goal was always to try and create um, 
like private smart contracts. Basically, uh, you know, take take a solidity like language and uh, add private state to it um, mm. as a first class primitive, and then just have an ability to just hack around um, with building DeFi, building DApps, but where you can hide information. Uh, originally, this came out because we needed that for a very specific application. So. I think maybe when you when we first met, I was I was the co-founder of a company called Credit Mint because we uh, we minted credit. Whoa! Hey. Yeah, times have changed. And were you actually question here because I know you spoke at like ZK Summit four, but yeah. had you been? I was at ZK Summit two. You were at ZK. Yeah. Summit. Did you also speak at the early ones in Berlin? I think uh, you did actually. I I don't think I spoke at two, I but you might have spoken at three. I yeah, I yeah, remember yeah. that you were the only person in one of, in the breakout room who'd used the like. The yeah. flip chart. <laughs> I remember this. That was Plonk. That yes. was me trying to explain the permutation argument with for Plonk and failing. Uh, wow. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So yeah, we did know each other even before that episode yeah. then. Okay. Um, BP before Plonk. Before Plonk. I think you make a good point. Let's go even further back. Let's do a little bit of the, the story from the start. So yeah, like originally I got into Web3 because uh, I met my co-founder Tom and he wanted to do private, like um, corporate debt, basically tradfi on Ethereum, mm. um, you know, bring real world assets to Ethereum. And I thought, wow, this is, this is 2017. And I thought this is the, uh, like the only actual meaningful use of blockchain that I, that I at the time was, was aware of because, you know, 2017, it was all just, you know, um, junky tokens and, yeah. and memes and, and not a lot of actual useful stuff, at least from the outside. Uh, so that's what I started working on with him. But then we realized very quickly, well, if you're going to try and do you know, bring real world assets on chain, you need privacy. Otherwise you're leaking quite a lot of information about, about people and, and, yeah. and, and about what they own. And actually it makes sense that it was like sort of the business use case that mm. was the first to like m be made clear. Yeah. I mean, that was yeah. always very clear to me as well. The fact that like, how, how could you run a business if everything is transparent, like every salary, every supplier's deal and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, it turns out that you can also just do it if you're some 16-year-old Anon on Twitter. Uh, that also works. But uh, for, for, for some parts of the economy, you do need proper privacy. And so, yeah, so I came to this from, from a very commercial perspective. And I guess I, I basically got ZK-pilled <gasps> later on. Whoa. Uh, because we needed, we needed privacy um, for what we were doing. And at the time, 20, 2017, 2018, like the, the only private tech out there really was Zcash, uh, which whilst incredible was also not programmable and there wasn't any privacy on ethereum or similar programmable chains yeah and so um i started looking into zk proofs because i'm like well we need this for the business i don't want to go back to my boring old job this is too much fun so mm -hmm. uh, um so i started reading about cryptography and um learning about it learning trying to figure out if we could port the zcash protocol to ethereum wait i'm just i just realized what were you doing what was your background actually background. i always thought you were a cryptographer oh hell no what <laughs> i feel like you might have even told me this on an earlier episode but i completely yeah. have been like no oh, i'm wow. very much i'm very much uh yes yeah, self-taught when it comes to cryptography uh but i i'm my background is as a failed particle physicist oh. so i did a phd in experimental neutrino physics um because Back in the day, I had delusions of grandeur about wanting to be a scientist, you know, spending all my time sketching out equations on whiteboards. Uh, Which you kind of do now. Yeah, yeah. You, you, can take, <laughs> you, can, you can take the academic out of academia, but you can't take academia out of the academic. Uh, I see. Uh, but, um, yeah. <laughs> okay. But yeah, I figured uh, that didn't work out. I realized actually I didn't really like research because it was a bit too ephemeral, you know, mm. trying to measure the existence of particles that last for a billionth of a billionth of a second. It's... It's interesting for a time, but I felt like I was, 
I was basically speed running a midlife crisis. Um, uh, and I wanted to do something more real with my life. So I became a programmer for a couple of years to kind of sort my, sort my life out, finish my thesis. And then that's, then I met Tom um, and he's like, I'm doing a startup. Do you want to join? And I'm like, well, yeah, I'm not doing anything interesting. Let's do this. And cool. then that segued into needing, needing privacy, which segued into me reading about cryptography, yes. which then segued into falling down a crypto rabbit hole. And because- early on though, you had created like, I remember like, you were using a different kind of ZKP? Yes. What was it again? It's a Sigma protocol. Okay. Uh, so so before Plonk, to get privacy, we, we I put together like a Frankenstein cryptography protocol using older primitives than ZK-SNARKs because basically we wanted programmable business logic and we didn't want to have to do um, trusted setups for every kind of um, like uh, effectively circuit we were writing uh, because we wanted it to be programmable. And so uh, at the time... All snarks require trusted setups per circuit. So, in the, in the, given the lack of other options, I, I, I knocked together this very primitive cryptography protocol, which sort of did what we needed, but it was very expensive in terms mm. of computational costs. In today's figures, it probably would cost about $100 to do a transaction on Ethereum uh, in terms of gas. Um, but originally, basically, I, I, I became like fascinated by ZK cryptography because it was a new, new area for me. I didn't know it existed. The idea that you can prove statements about encrypted data was just radical um yeah. and and I, I kind of realized very quickly wow you combine this with distributed ledger technology you know you, you had the ability to actually create you know completely um you, you, ledgers where like the protocol is transparent and trusted but the actual information trading across it is private that that could change a lot of things in this world mm. so i became a bit obsessed with it um my, my basically one of my first introductions to cryptography was i did i did something which i later turned out i later found out was was a massive stereotype which is that i um i got introduced to um a an actual cryptographer jens groth um, one of the og folks you know he's um created the groth 16 snark he's been in the space for, for a long long time he's been on the show yeah yeah he's 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 uh i, I owe a lot to him because basically uh, i got introduced to him so i rocked up to his office and i'm like hey jens i've got this like amazing new cryptography protocol it's like no i'm not i don't I'm not a cryptographer. I'm self-taught, you know, but trust me, this one works. It's great. It's going to change things. Um, and then like, you know, he read it in about five minutes. He's like, yeah, it's broken. Um, uh, so yeah, that was that. That was my my extremely stereotypical introduction to cryptography. It's funny because it's like the don't roll, roll your own crypto. Yeah. But then you did. Then I kept going. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I'm like, I, I uh, you know, what's, what's that? The definition of insanity is trying the same thing over and over and yes. expecting different results. Well. You did get a different result, though. Well, I did because Jens was, was exceptionally good natured and kind of um, spent time advising my startup and basically mentoring me on how to actually do cryptography. Wow. Uh, and so that's what then, with his help, that's where, what, what then produced the original Aztec protocol, which was this Sigma protocol thing that I was mentioning earlier. But then, so even on that one, you had gotten something sort of functional. Yeah. Where does Plonk come in? Plonk comes in 2019. Yeah. Uh, so we knew when we were building the original Aztec protocol with this junky Sigma protocol, we, we kind of were in a bit of a, a difficult spot because we knew that what we were building wasn't actually very good. Uh, and we didn't have the technology to build what we really wanted to build, which is not a good place to be, uh, quite demoralizing. And so I was basically spending all of 2019 and, and a bit of 2018 basically studying furiously everything about Ziggy Snarks, trying to figure out if it's possible to create um, a univer- what is now like called a universal snark, which is one where you don't need per circuit trusted setups, where you just make, do one trusted setup, or, or ideally no, no trusted setups, but at, at most one trusted setup for your entire crypto system 
And then you can program in any, any arbitrary circuit you want and you don't need to do any more trusted setups. Mm-hmm. And at this point, there was like Sonics had been, was that out? Well, that was the inciting incident because okay. Sonic was published uh, in 2019, I believe, um, or late 2018. I can't quite remember the date. Um, so it was uh, like Mary Maller's PhD thesis. I think it had Sean Bow on it from Zcash yes. and a few others. And sorry, I can't remember the full author list. I think we, we may have covered that yeah. at some point on the show too, mm. in detail. I remember doing a study club on that, actually. Yeah. And it was the first actual universal snark um, that was like remotely practical. Although not really, not really. usable. Yeah, right? so, like, so, so the it, idea it, was... It proved, it showed something. It showed yeah, you yeah. could do this universal trusted setup, but it didn't necessarily like, hadn't figured out the sweet spot. Yeah, because the, the prover was extraordinarily slow. So you wouldn't have been able to use it in practice. Mm. But it, it showed techniques where it showed, hey, this is possible. And so I looked, I, I saw the paper and I'm like, I have to, I have to figure out your secrets um, and, and see, if, <laughs> see if there's something that can be evolved out of it. Um, which wasn't the easiest thing to do because uh, I, I do not wish to throw shade. Um, I have an enormous amount of respect for the Sonic authors. They've contributed immensely to the field of cryptography. There is a but though. Oh. And that but is that the paper is not the, most, is not the easiest to read. Uh, ah. <laughs> um, particularly if you're not kind of... Um, Completely up to up to speed with the lingo of cryptography, with the with the with the syntax of it. And the Sonic paper is split into two components. There's the component where they they describe a snark that's universal, but it requires an untrusted third party helper who has a lot of computational resources mm. to help make the proof. And then there's the part where you don't need that untrusted third party, but the prover is extremely slow. And that second part was the one I was interested in. But it was also the part that was kind of not really described that well because it, was, it wasn't the main focus of the paper. It was kind of an aside, oh, by the way, you can do this. But this split yeah. you just described, this mm-hmm. isn't, the split does not correspond to like the polynomial IOP and the polynomial commitment scheme or anything. This split, no. you're talking about something else. This is it's, like... It's different um, okay. because they, they both had two, like both modes had two different polynomial IOPs, I believe. Yeah, I, I spent, uh, there was a couple of couple of weeks where I basically camped out at a little a little bougie artisan cafe that's right next, that was next to the flat that I was living. I camped out there with a, with a, with a, with a, a supply of iced markers and a notepad and the sonic paper. And I went through it line by line and basically grinded through it until I understood how the damn thing worked. Wow. It sounds like it was because you needed something like this yes. for Aztec to actually work. Yes. And this, what we're talking about here is it's still Aztec 1 yeah. or is this Aztec? Aztec 1. Aztec 1. Because... Yeah. You had created something, but it, yeah. it did it not work? Well, so Aztec One was it was it didn't have any scalability. So the idea was what it enabled was conf- like private-ish value tra- cryptocurrency transfers on Ethereum, but like the values were hidden, but the identities weren't, oh. and it wasn't scalable. As in, if you like each each transaction required a verification on Ethereum, and that uh. cost a lot of gas, about eight hundred thousand gas. So okay, okay. It, clearly wasn't a sustainable long-term solution and we needed something better we needed better tech and that better tech did not really exist and that was causing an existential crisis for me uh, <laughs> so so you're sitting in this cafe yeah you're figuring it out um had ariel already joined aztec no ah. so at the time i barely knew ariel like i met him once at a zcash conference like we shared a cab ride uh, but we didn't really know each other that well okay and so that came a little bit later, about a month afterwards. So I, once I cracked the Sonic paper, understand how it worked, I'm like, right, okay, is there a way of making this fast? And I was basically uh, drawing blanks there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I was like, hmm, how do I make this fast? Well, I uh, don't know. Did you um, go to Jens Grot again and ask him? I didn't, because at the time, so he had to stop being our advisor because he joined Definity. And so there was a slight Aww. conflict of interest. They, they poached him. Oh, uh, yeah. 
And yeah, he couldn't, he couldn't help. But his papers did. Um, because the, the, basically the path I was on before I bumped into Ariel uh, and actually had the, uh, the inciting incident which put it all together. There's a, there's a kind of a trifecta of papers that were coming that have come out over the last couple of years that were really, they, whilst they didn't codify it explicitly, they were using this, this kind of general construction of, of creating ZK protocols using a polynomial interactive oracle proof and a polynomial Kuhn scheme. They weren't sync, they weren't snarks, not really, but they were um, for like general purpose compute. And not general purpose, sorry, special purpose computations. But they were kind of written by Jens Groth, Jonathan Bootle, that kind of crowd. Mm-hmm. And um, I was kind of devouring these papers because, you know, I, ha- I had a kind of like intuition that there was something there, that you could combine this with something, some of the stuff in Sonic and somehow get something working, but I didn't really know how to do it. And that's kind of where Ariel came into the scene um, because... I met him at some some crypto conference in London. I'm afraid I, I can't remember the name of the place. It was um, the the company I hosted it has since gone under. But um, at the time, I was working on a problem where I was trying to create a bespoke zk circuit for verifying uh, Poseidon hashes. Wow! So very specific, and it was more of a toy at the time. I didn't really have a good use case for it, but I was like, "Here, yeah, Poseidon is a fun hash function. Can you make a like a very specific kind of like zk protocol?" Uh, using these these polynomial IOP ideas um, mm. to to do it, and I got to the point where I I almost got something working, but there was this one minor niggling little issue, which is that basically like the way these polynomial IOPs work is generally you know you'll use a commitment scheme to encode a vector as a polynomial, and then you'll you'll perform some arithmetic over your vectors and use a and ve- and basically define some kind of polynomial expression that checks the correctness of that arithmetic, and the problem that I had is for my Poseidon protocol to work, I needed a shift. Basically, I needed to get a encoder vector as a polynomial and also encode its shifted form as a polynomial and, and verify that those two were identical. And I didn't know how to do that using the the representations that I was using, which was uh, at the time this this whole like Lagrange-based thing, which is in Planck. So long story short, basically, I ran into Ariel and I'm like, hey, you're a brain. You know how this works. Um, well, you know how cryptography works. Uh, like, do you know how to do this, the, this shift thing? Um, Ariel, to his credit, he spent a lot of time talking with me that day because I was struggling to explain the problem because because I, I was I was speaking in kind of a bit of a like a butchered language of cryptography because yeah. I'm not formally trained yeah, in it. Yeah, yeah, but he, he yeah he listened he he listened and he, he translated you he, he translated me yes he was Whoa. the plonk whisperer and he was like hmm, I'll think about this I went away um, end of the conference I was hacking around on my notebooks and that evening I realized hang on a minute. This problem, like if you can get this this kind of this equivalent of a shift in a polynomial form uh, in this kind of Lagrange base idea, if you can do this and you can create a universal snark, then you could make Sonic fast. Like kind of that, it triggered it, it, it clicked in my Whoa. mind. And I remember it quite clearly because the um, I had an Apple watch at the time and it uh, it started beeping at me um, saying, hey, you're not doing an exercise, but your pulse is like 120. Are you okay? Because I was like, my heart was panicked. So I'm like, oh my God, there's something here. Whoa. But... I thought this shifting problem, because I, I just wasn't familiar with the tech, like how to solve it. I was like, oh, it's probably, it's probably impossible. You know, this is, yeah. a, this is a pipe dream. Move on. And then the next day at the conference, I turned up and, you know, I was walking past Ariel and he just whipped his head around and he's like, oh yeah, by the way, I've, I've solved that problem you, you mentioned wow. yesterday. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. I actually, I want to say we we interviewed Ariel last year about mm. a little bit the history of Plonk on his yeah. side. So I will actually try to dig that up mm. and add it in the show notes. But I love that. So you guys met, you you connected yeah. and you weren't working together still. This was just like people yeah, yeah, who yeah. you knew each other sort of 
peripherally. Yeah, yeah. And this was the point where you started to work together. And it was on Plunk. Not even well, ish. I mean, basically, we were there just for one conference. I was moving, was traveling around. And so we we basically, at, the, at that conference, we hashed out a way where you could possibly create a universal snark. But it was still very, very foggy in our minds um, because what became the Plunk permutation argument, I was... When, when Ariel told me, like, there's this thing you can do, uh, you can solve this problem. I'm like, dude, <laughs> like, do you know what this means? Um, and so we, we basically hit, hit off in a side room and I explained to him Sonic's permutation argument because uh, not many people that would had, at the time had really like dug into the Sonic's permutation argument part mm. because it was somewhat inscrutable. And so like, I wasn't teaching him permutations. Ariel knew all about permutation networks. Like they've been around for donkey's years, but how to get universal snarks out of them was relatively new-ish. And so anyway, but, but once, once that clicked with him, he's like, oh yeah, wow, there's something here. Um, and then we had to split because, you know, we, we had our own lives to live. Yeah, yeah. But then we, a couple of weeks later, we met at an airport um, waiting to board a plane to go to a Zcash conference. And I looked at him and I'm like, dude, this idea that we, we have. And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, you should be write a paper about it. And he was like, yeah, I was thinking that too. Let's write a paper. And then eventually that, that became Plunk. Did you know when you were doing this, how influential Plunk would be? I knew it was going to be a thing. Because um, it's, I mean, it's, it took over so <laughs> many systems, like people yeah. who were developing their own proving systems sort of sometimes threw them away just to use Plonk and it's evolved. There's like all yeah. the variations on Plonk. Mm. There's even like Plonkish is yeah. like a term, it like is. an adjective <laughs> now. <laughs> so like, yeah, yeah. I, I, did you, did you have any sense? I mean, I had a sense that it was going to be quite valuable for the for the reasons why i wanted to use it for aztec because because yeah. a universal snark that's fast enough to put into production systems was completely new at the time and yeah i knew it was going to get used um it's kind of why i gave it a silly name because i thought it'd be funny <laughs> uh, but i didn't i didn't quite realize just how much it would take off and 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 also just how much the community would embrace and adopt it because the plonk-ish arithmetization it's um how do i put this you know it would have been very easy for quite for for several groups or, um, you know, companies, institutions, researchers to basically just name their protocols, whatever they wanted, as in if they, they, they use ingredients from Plonk, um, mm. but it doesn't mean you need to name it after Plonk, but they've been quite, they've been quite good natured and kept the theme. And so it's, it's helped uh, the concept of Plonk kind of a uh, worm its way into the, into the wider cryptosphere. To stay alive. Yeah. Well, actually tell me a little bit about like the Plonk work you've done, maybe yeah. even since you first introduced Plonk on the show back in 2020. Yeah. Like, cause I mean, mm. even then, I mean, or at least the last time you were on, I think we were hearing about like, you know, there was a hyper plonk, there was an mm. ultra plonk, yeah. there was a turbo plonk, yeah. there was an octo plonk. No, but I think I misheard somebody and then I mean, started. This there, there might be an octo plonk <laughs> in the future, but not right now. Actually, I asked when I was interviewing Darren Strad. I think I mentioned this octo plonk also as a probably not real thing. And um, I think they did actually have a vision for what Octoplank could be. Interesting. So I think it should exist. <laughs> yes, it's going to be like the cryptid of, of cryptography protocols. It's, you know, it's the one you hear about, but it's never, you can never really no, you see. You can't find it anywhere. You, you can't find it. Yeah. Yeah. But okay, so from there, we just mentioned this like plunkish arith arithmetization. Arithmetization. Yeah. Um, that you find in Halo 2. Mm -hmm. Do you find it in Plonky 2 as well? Yep. Okay. What else do you find it in? Uh, where, where does a plunkish arithmetization worm its way in? Yeah. Everywhere. I mean, but, everywhere. Well, anything that isn't Armand CS or a Stark like air is basically plonkish okay. um, uh, because 
if you want, don't want to do a per circuit trusses setup, um, the the tricky part about doing a, a snark circuit is proving that your wires are correctly feeding into the relevant gates um, properly. Basically, that your wires are copied where they need to be copied, um, and the way that you do that canonically, uh, like the, what Planck showed, is that you can do this really efficiently with a permutation um, argument. And so that permutation argument is, is core to a ton of protocols. But but more, I guess more more broadly than that, that Planckish arithmetization is a way of taking arithmetic that you want to express over vectors. Um, so like, imagine you're iterating over elements of a vector and you're applying some arithmetic statement to the elements of that vector. It's a very nice transformation. Um, I guess at, at its core, it's a way of, um, if you have vectors of information and you want to iterate over your vectors and apply some arithmetic operation, some arithmetic expression over those vectors, the longish arithmetization is a very efficient way of converting that into um, arithmetic over polynomials at its core. Um, combined with a way of um, correctly checking that copy, that basically certain elements within those vectors are copies of one another. It's kind of taken taken hold a bit because it's it's very expressible and customizable. And you can, you well, at the, like back in 2019, I was talking about the side of custom gates, where basically instead of doing additions and multiplications, which is the general way you, you, you create gates in a snark circuit, you can do like weird, funky custom arithmetic that's going to help your program be a bit more efficient. Things like range checks, bitwise arithmetic, um, elliptic curve operations. One of the big innovations, iterations that we did was in 2020, we published PolLookup, which was... Oh, yes. Yes, is how to do lookup tables inside a Plunkish type uh, snark, hmm. uh, which changed the game a little bit in terms of how, like, the complexity of, of programs you can encode. It's it's difficult to do complex arithmetic in a ZK snark because all your arithmetic is over these prime fields. It's all modulo big primes. And so if you want to do... If you want to represent a computer program as a snark circuit, you're faced with a fundamental problem, which is, well, computer programs use uh, imperative programs that, that use binary arithmetic. You know, there's lots of logic statements, lots of bitwise arithmetic. And it's very hard to translate that into prime field arithmetic without like a, a relatively large blow up in the number of kind of like constraints that you, you need. And lookup tables solve this by basically being lazy and cheating. Um, instead of doing the computation, you just look it up from a table instead <laughs> and yeah what, what really inspired me was a couple of things um, one of them was early microcomputing in the 1980s so when when the home computing revolution exploded in the 80s um programmers had to be very creative because these machines were very very primitive uh to give an example like the common cpu chip at the time couldn't multiply uh if you, wanted to mul you had to like add repeatedly oh. to multiply it couldn't multiply it couldn't divide it couldn't even do proper bit shifts like, you could shift left or to the right by one bit hmm. But so we're talking like unbelievably primitive. And so what programmers did was they, well, they used lookup tables to store arithmetic the, computations yeah. instead of doing them like multiplication tables. Wow. Uh, and so I was like, hmm, there must be a way of doing this in a snark too. And there was. Um, cool. So yeah. And that's the lookup arguments, basically, yes. lookup tables. Yeah. Um, we actually asked that question on the latest CK Summit oh. forum. The, what is the lookup argument? Oh, actually, what is the difference? Lookup table, lookup argument. Well, I mean, I, I'm not going to claim to have invented lookup arguments um, generally because they, they go back a ways. But um, so pluckup was just a way of, was a way of doing them very efficiently in a Planckish arithmetic type circuit. So what's the difference between a lookup table and a lookup argument? A lookup argument is a way of proving that you've correctly read from a lookup table. Okay, <laughs> got it. Yeah. We talked just now about like the ways that Planckish arithmetization has been used and it's how it's showing up and the, some of these other techniques. But what about on your front? Like since we spoke even maybe like in 2021, mm. what kind of Planck variants or developments have we, have you done? Yeah. So, so quite a bit because 
Um, you know, I mentioned at the start, like one of the key driving forces behind Aztec is we want to do private smart contracts yeah. and uh, plonk on a zone isn't enough. It's good. It's not good enough. Uh, so we we, need, we always need more speed and more power, um, <laughs> make things faster. And so that's what I've been trying to do. Um, well, you know, in tandem with a lot of people in this, in this space over the last, well, several years. And so part of that has been improving plonk. So adding lookup tables, adding custom gates, creating these new weird variants like turbo plonk and ultra plonk. And then something else which kind of changed the game a little bit, flipped the board over, was uh, hyperplonk. Um, which you didn't do, right? I didn't do, no. That was Benedict That was Benedict and, and the Espresso Systems yeah, folks. Yeah. Yes. So yeah, they pipped us to the to, to publication <laughs> on that one. Um, so had we, you had something like that in the so, works? Yeah. So so we we had... Um, so Hyperplonk at its core is Plonk with using uh, something called a sum check protocol. Mm. And uh, it stems from a paper from 2020. I think Benedict Wins also was an author on that, but I can't quite remember. So there's a 2020 paper about how to like do some checks with um, uh, something called tensor codes. Mm. Uh, and it was quite clear for me in the paper, this could be adapted to Plonk relatively straightforward. One thing though, if pl- if this adding some check or making it some check was the change, what was it before? So Zero before, check? Or? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So zero check. So the idea is if you have some arithmetic over your polynomials, you encode your vectors of information such that the resulting polynomials, they vanish on some um, subgroup. Yes. And this was the vanishing polynomial Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so so okay. the idea is you check your arithmetic as zero modulo the vanishing polynomial of your subgroup. Yeah. Um, and that's what the, yeah. So yeah, zero checks quotient computations. Uh, so you can place it with a sum check protocol where you basically, instead of encoding things um over a, in a univariate polynomial, you, you encode them as a multilinear polynomial. Mm-hmm. The idea is if you have a vector of size n, you take log n um, variables uh, and you encode your data as a polynomial in those variables where when you evaluate those, those log n variables at 0 and 1, each combination of zeros and ones gives you one, one of the elements in your vector. Hmm. So basically you, you encode your data as, as the uh, elements of a Boolean hypercube, an n-dimensional Boolean hypercube, <laughs> uh, which I love saying. Um, it's, it's, wow. Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 kind of a, it's kind of a weird crossover between zero-knowledge cryptography and psychological horror novels. Jeez. But yeah, Hyperplunk, I think we had, I think Benedict gave that presentation mm. at actually ZK8, yeah. potentially. Um, so it's pretty, it's like a, Six months ago? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, so we, we had very similar ideas, but uh, we took our sweet time putting it together. Paper, our paper is not yet published uh, for a couple of reasons, but, but we're, we're nearly there. Um, so yeah, they, they, they pipped us to the post and uh, Got it. Yeah, pretty, pretty awesome work and very grateful that they kept with the Plonk theme. <laughs> you recently released Goblin Plonk, but this yes. is not this work, right? This is something else? Yeah, so the thing I was just talking about, at least the one that we're, we're internally, we're calling it Honk. Uh, oh, that's honk. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So you just skipped the hyper plonk and just went straight to honk. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Cut out all the middle letters. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so it stands for highly optimized plonk uh, ah. with, a, with a few silent letters. Um, Very good. But yeah, slightly different to goblin plonk. Um, okay. But why would you keep working on honk if hyper plonk already exists? Like, will you so, be adding so to it? So honk is, yeah, honk should be adding some several additions to hyper plonk because the, the hyper plonk paper treat is, is, a, is a very general description of how did you plonk when you encode things over a billion hypercubes. Mm. So my take on it is that the authors, they wanted to create a, like a, a general description, which means that they treat the various cryptographic subprotocols you need as black boxes. Um, and the paper doesn't describe particular schemes you can use and therefore all the particular ugly engineering hacks and tricks you can use to make mm-hmm. it fast. Um, and so things like cyclic shifts are expensive. And if you choose specific 
scheme, like multilinear commitment schemes, they don't they they become very very cheap. And so there's yeah, there's also tricks you can do. And so I guess our paper is a it's a collection of the tricks, but b it's also it's it's got a new multilinear polynomial commitment scheme Ooh. which should be more efficient than the other stuff. What's, and um, what's it called? No name yet. Oh, but it's, <laughs> it, what would it be replacing? KCG? So, no, no. It, it's it uses KCG as a subcomponent. It okay. would be replacing something called Gemini. Um, oh, okay. So Gemini is a folding scheme where you basically you have a an, like a, an abstract multilinear polynomial, but you you use a folding scheme to represent it eventually, uh, like to provide a, a mapping to map that maps it to a univariate mm. polynomial commitment that you can then open with KCG. Is this at all like playing on on the Nova? Not quite. No, no. I've used the word folding it, but it's it's folding in a different way. Um, Yeah, most most of zk crypto is basically it's folding schemes and polynomials at its core. I think, Uh, (laughs) and yeah, it's just a different way of folding, different different context. Okay, so that's honk. Now tell us about goblin plonk. Goblin plonk. Oh yeah. Um, you were also just describing you had to explain some Zen what is it? Generation Z slang. Generation Z yes. slang to yes. help me understand why you decided on this name. Okay, so it's wider context is um one of the things that's obsessing uh, me is the cost of recursive proof composition. Um to do something like Aztec three with private smart contracts, it helps immensely if you can ha- if you have recursive snarks as a very, very cheap um, primitive you can use where you know you can just check the correctness of a proof within a proof um, and that not add much overhead to the prover. Uh, we care greatly about this because if we can do client-side recursion um, quickly, so you know proofs constructed in a web browser or on a, you know an old computer with not a lot of memory, if you can do that then it makes um, it makes it possible to cr- to represent snark-based smart contracts in a in a manner that's very intuitive for developers, where it allows you to abstract a lot, a lot more away. And so I've been assess- I've been assessing around fast recursion for ages, and Goblin Plonk is a recursion scheme uh, that I believe uh, we've not f- finished implementing it yet, but I believe it's going to be exceptionally performant and have very very low prover costs. And it's called Goblin Plonk because it's it's when recursion goes Goblin mode. Aha! Uh, uh-huh. And Goblin mode is lazy, greedy. Slothful. And slothful. Yes. <laughs> That's what you were telling me before. Exactly, yes. Okay. It's, and the reason I call it that is because the recursion scheme, it's very lazy in that uh, when, you're, when you're recursing over elliptic curves, uh, one of the big problems is you need to do something called non-native field arithmetic, where you need to do lots and lots of arithmetic modulo a modulus, which is not the native modulus that your circuit is using. So there, generally, that's a very expensive thing to do, which slows down privers and... The best way of doing it so far is is the the Halo two um, curve cycle scheme, which I would consider Block Goblin Plunk to be very much an iteration of because it still oh, okay, uses okay. curve cycles. But the reason why, but basically, it's the, the main innovation is that when you're actually doing your recursion, um, instead of performing all these ex- take the expensive computations you need to do, and instead of performing them or evaluating them, you cheat. You present a um, a lookup table which just magically has the results you're looking for, uh, and and you, then you worry about proving the correctness of that lookup table uh, later, later on in, in the in the protocol. This seems to be a trend, though. This idea of like you push the proving of something to later. Yeah. This is this like yeah. Halo Two's doing it, or rather Nova starts to do this. Mm-hmm. I think, and this is yeah. where this is where it sort of sounds again yeah. familiar. Yeah. So so it's it's a good trend because because it's um. You know, it's always it's always nice to make something somebody else's problem, and <laughs> but isn't it still your problem just later? Y- yes, so uh, <laughs> true. But but it's well, there's there's two ways of why why deferred computation is valuable. One of them is it genuinely is somebody else's problem. The idea is you like you have two previous. One has very weak computational oh, resources. Right. One has lots of computational resources, but is oh. perhaps not trusted. 
um, you want to basically, yeah, like um, minimize the computation that your weak prover does um, and defer as much as you can to the strong prover without leaking information to the strong prover. Interesting. And that's kind of what Halo 2 is doing huh. with these curve cycles. Um, and similarly, I think I think it's what Nova is doing as well. I'm not 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 the expert on that, so okay. I could be mis- mischaracterizing the protocol. Um, Goblin Clock is slightly different where it is still all your problem um, as a prover. <laughs> uh, but the the idea is that what you can do is, is as you're recursing, you're basically building up a giant lookup table that contains all of these elliptic curve operations you need to do um, that are over a foreign field. And then at the very end of your, um, like once you've actually computed all your recursive proofs at the very end, and you, you, some somebody needs to prove the correctness of this um, transcript. And one way of doing that is basically you use these curve cycles. So you, you commit to the same information over your over over your cycle curve, mm-hmm. which basically translates the problem from uh, doing this foreign field arithmetic to doing native field arithmetic. So it reduces the complexity of the problem by about a factor of a thousand. Um, and then you you prove the equality between these two commitments. So basically you have commitments to your elliptic curve operations over your main curve. You have commitments to your elliptic curve operations over your cycle curve. If they are equivalent, if you can prove they are equivalent, then the problem becomes very, very easy because then you just create a custom snark circuit of your cycle curve to evaluate the correctness of the transcript. It turns out that actually it's not, not very hard to do, um, that equivalence check. Uh, so I, I stole this from EIP4844 because they have a similar issue where you, you take your cycle curve commitments, you just open them using the inner product argument or whatever commitment scheme is useful for you um, at some random point. And then what you want to do is use a, a snark circuit of your main curve to iterate over, so you take your transcript commitments of your main curve um, and you, you, you incorporate them into a snark circuit where the commitments become uh, columns in a, in a circuit. And then for each row, you're basically iterating over the coefficients of your polynomial and you use foreign field arithmetic to evaluate the polynomial at the same random point that you opened your cycle curves on using the field of your cycle curve. And so long story short, it translates the problem of doing non-native elliptic curve scalar multiplications into the problem of doing native elliptic curve scalar multiplications, which are very cheap, ah. and five non-native field multiplications, um, where if you only do five, that's also very cheap, especially in the Copeland scheme. You can basically create a custom circuit that just does non-native field models. So doing five of those is, is actually about the same cost as doing a native elliptic curve multiplication. Um, and my my kind of back-of-the-envelope napkin math is that the this should be exceptionally prover efficient, as in possibly something like eight thousand Planckish constraints all into recurs, um, recursively verified proof, which would be, if it's if I'm right, it would be order like at least one order of magnitude, I think, of an improvement over the existing stuff. So that what what does that mean, sort of like in terms of speed? Is it like half as long or no, like about ten ten x if, 10X. It's, if, it, if okay. it genuinely is ten x less fewer constraints. Um, and so, yeah, so basically the idea is then you can just use it as a cheap commodity primitive and recursion no longer becomes like a, a difficult problem, oh, wow. um, which would be really is it, nice. Is it solved or is it like work in progress? So we're implementing it um, because we're, we're implementing lots and lots of things at once. Um, and uh, so, yeah, we're, we're doing our best. But um, ah, I see. One of, I mean, one of the things that I did with Goblin Plunk was um, uh, I just published it as soon as, as soon as I had the idea. I just wrote it up and threw it out into the world because I, I figured... You know, the more the more eyeballs on it, the more people can break it, improve it, etc. Yeah. Um, but you have to implement it to really know. Yeah, if exactly. Efficient, yeah, until then, there. I'm just okay, bullshitting. Okay. It's just basically <laughs> me with a megaphone saying, oh, "I've got this amazing idea." You know, um, but 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 she goes to the to the school next door, and you can't see her. <laughs> <laughs> I I want to kind of bring in the 
topic of noir yeah. to this conversation about plonk because yes. noir, is it Aztec specific or is it plonk specific? Neither. Neither? Okay. Neither. So noir is a DSL, so the yeah. ZK domain specific language. And this was released when, like eight Last? months ago or so? 10 months ago? Yeah. Yeah. About that. Yeah. And we've, we actually hosted a workshop for uh, ZK Hack 3 mm. where we got to actually see Noir in action. Um, it's a, like, I think that there's a lot of people who are very excited about it. I always thought it was like the Planck native. Okay. Tell me, tell me then what is Noir? Yeah. Okay. So, so Noir is, it's our attempt to create a, a very generalized ZK programming language where the idea is it exposes a, a very high level programming language that's Rust-like that the idea is that it compiles down to ZK circuits, but we deliberately made it platform agnostic um, because we didn't want this to just be, you know, the Aztec thing or the Plonk thing because, well, it's an open source project and we want we want as many people to use it as possible. Does uh, it like favor Plonk? Is it more like usable with Plonk? Is there uh, any benefit to like, or is there any connection? I mean, I would say it's faster with Plonk because Plonk is, is the fastest arithmetization scheme out there, but that's my own bias. <laughs> uh, so it's, we want it to basically be the LLVM of SNARKs, um, right. where it compiles, it doesn't compile to circuits or constraints, it compiles to an intermediate representation uh, called a SIR, abstract circuit intermediate representation, where the idea is then once you have an ASEA program, then you can take any cryptography backend that you like and convert that ASEA into constraints for that backend specific proving system. So it's basically equivalent to how computer programming languages in, in general are constructed. The idea is you have a language front end like Rust or mm-hmm. C++ or uh, I don't know Haskell where you you know you have your your front end the, the actual sem- like language you code in with its semantics as rules etc. And then the the language compiler doesn't turn your program into machine code. Generally what it will do is it will turn it into well LLVM IR, low level virtual machine intermediate representation. It turns mm-hmm. it into into a basically a kind of proto assembly, but for an imagined virtual machine that doesn't really exist. Um, so that's what the language front end does. And then the language backend takes that intermediate representation and actually turns it into machine code for a specific computer architecture. Okay. And this is how you can have a program that you write once and it compiles to Mac, to Windows, to iPad, to iPhone, to you know, to to, to a tons of different CPU architectures. Mm-hmm. And so we're taking the same approach with ZK languages. So Noir is a language front end for ASIR. Um, so it has its own special Rust-like syntax that compiles programs to this ASIR representation. But that's that's where kind of Noir stops. Um, and then it's somebody else's job to take the ASIR and turn it into an actual ZK circuit. What would it work with then? Would it work with Arcworks? Yeah, I think. So well, would, either... would that would Arcworks be the second part of that? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. So so Arcworks would be the back end. I think I'm not sure we either have or are working on an Arcworks integration. We have a GNARK integration as well okay. as a, as well as the, the Aztec one. Oh, yeah, the GNARK one was, that's the consensus. Yeah. Okay. And But is Noir then on the same level as CIRCOM? Is CIRCOM uh, doing the same thing as Noir? It, does it also compile down to Yeah, it's to doing a similar thing, but, but CIRCOM is a bit more, I believe it's a bit more um, integrated in that uh, CIRCOM has a ARM and CS backend and a Plonk backend, but they're, they're, they're tightly integrated in the language itself. So it's not... It doesn't really give you an intermediate representation that you can then compile using some other kind of proving system. Mm. So it's it's a bit less abstract in that way and less modular. I see, I see. But like, so actually, yeah, what you're saying though is because it has this intermediate representation, where does the plonk part start? Is that like after that? After, okay. yes. So you can, your backend can take those, the IR and turn it into R1CS constraints and then mm. compile those into a circuit or can turn it into plonkish constraints and compile those into a plonk circuit. Could it do something in like the Maiden error kind of context? Yeah. As well? Yeah. 
I mean, it might not be the fastest because you're you're taking a program and converting it into VM code for like you're taking the IR for Noir and then turning it into Polygon Maiden assembly, which is a, again another form of IR. Yeah, and then that gets turned into a VM circuit. So it, so you could do it absolutely. Uh, it might not be the fastest, but you could do it. I see. I see. At the recent ZK hack, I know a few people, you know, mm. started to work on Noir and use Noir. Is Noir meant to be the language that like a hacker could build a little ZK project with? 100%. Or is, is it, goal. okay, so it really is. Because like, that's what's sort of unclear. Like the way you described it though, like you're still sending it into this intermediate representation context. Like if you just use Noir, you still need to use that second part, don't you? You do, but the the idea is, yeah, okay. So, so an actual build of Noir, a yeah, deployed yeah, yeah. version of Noir will choose a specific crypto backend to use. And so- the goal is to present an abstraction layer to the developer where they just write their Noir program and they just click a button and it compiles to a circuit with a, with a smart contract verify they can deploy to a, an EVM chain. Underneath that exactly. they, don't, they don't need to know about. Exactly. The okay. idea is the end goal is for it to be turnkey effectively where yeah, you, yeah. Just, you just code your up your Noir program and then you just run it and you don't worry about anything that's happening under the hood. Um, I'm not going to claim we're there yet, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> we are working. We are working very hard to to, to get the language. Would to Noir place, right? then be also used with something else? Like, say, say you wanted to create, like, I don't know, some like front end application that mm -hmm. then on its back end, not back back end. We're not talking circuit yet, but mm. like where it, but it's going to be using zkps under yeah. the hood. Would you be using something like? Solidity on the front end, or, or JavaScript, or something, and then you have actually it wouldn't be Solidity; it'd probably be JavaScript. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so would you be using something like JavaScript, then Noir, then like it's automatically using ArcWorks? Yeah, Is exactly. That kind so, of so what the, that looks like. Yeah, the release of Noir that you're using would would contain either like an integrated ArcWorks backend, or a, or or, or, or an Aztec backend, or GNOC backend. Yeah. You would just have you would have a tool chain. I mean, we have a tool chain now which does this. Um, mm. Although, it, it, uh, yeah, for the Aztec backend at least, a tool chain where yeah, you just compile and ask. It's like it gets turned into a proving key, verification key. You can make your proofs, and it's relatively um, straightforward. And yeah, we have a, we have our a JavaScript um, wrapper around it all, um, so that if you're building a front end website that uses Noir, that where the user needs to make a Noir proof, you can do that all by making JavaScript calls. Now that we've gotten to this point, I'm like. Aztec mm. as an entity, now we have to dig into it because I have always thought about Aztec as almost like a roll-up, right? Mm. Like, uh, like, cause we did the ZKZK roll-up episode yeah. and I, you know, you said at first it was like a smart contract directly on Ethereum and then migrated to this like roll-up concept. But now what you're describing, the fact that it like is Aztec Arcworks then? No. So like why, Sorry yeah. to confuse you. No, no, so, but this is where like I want to ask is the question basically why why are we doing this with Noir? Well, it's almost like now that we've we've described Plonk, yeah. then we've described Noir and what we haven't really described is like Aztec which yeah. brings all of these things together like yeah. and yeah that that connection point I think I yeah. I want to understand. Sure. So the reason we're developing Noir like this is very much like transparently we have very ulterior motives. Um uh You have what? Ulterior motives. Um so <laughs> You know, in terms of like, we want Noir to be a public good that is open source. Anybody can use it. They can build their own backends, their own frontends. They can basically just use it however they want, even if it doesn't touch any other Aztec system. And yeah, it doesn't, doesn't benefit like Aztec as a company directly. And well, why is that? It's because what is the end state for Aztec? We are building a ZK ZK rollup, um, okay. a layer two, where 
the layer two is um, effectively we want to recreate the smart contract ecosystem that Ethereum has, but as a layer two where you have private state as a first class default primitive. Basically, things become private by default. Where as a developer, you can write your smart contract and then just like just trivially easily just include private data in your program in your program logic. So that needs a lot of disparate components to work. You you need an exceptionally fast DK programming system. Mm-hmm. Um, you need like an, an architecture that enables all of this, that, that represents programs as ZK circuits and then represents evaluating these like, transactions over these programs inside some kind of ZK rollup architecture. Um, you need, you need the, the entire layer two architecture coded up as recursive ZK snarks. And you need language that you program these contracts in. Okay. And this is where Noir comes into the picture because we want, like we plan for Noir to be the smart contract programming language for Aztec 3. Uh, and so we want to very much grow the, the developer ecosystem for Noir, just generally, as in it's a positive sum win-win game for everybody, as in we build Noir as a, as a general purpose language so that you know doesn't, doesn't need to plug into Aztec 3, just commands the snarks. Mm-hmm or Starks or whatever you want, to basically make it easy to write ZK programs. And the bigger that developer ecosystem is, the, be- the better it is for us, because then the bigger the stable of developers is that could potentially write Aztec 3 programs uh, and smart contracts. I kind of want to go back to that description mm. before of like what a developer would do if they're deploying a contract or they're building an application. This sort mm. of like we're using Noir as this middle thing. We have JavaScript yeah. on one side. We have Aztec on the other side. Mm. Let's kind of rewind to like 2021 yeah. when we were doing this like series yeah. on all these rollups. You had, and I think most people listening to the show are pr- probably familiar with it, but like you often have this like batching of transactions or state changes or whatever, and then they're writing something to the base chain. Mm. I always thought of like, the snark is just sort of like the the thing that just does the validity. You add the ZK part, the secret part. But now I'm confused about like how does a like if you're writing on top of this snark or you're mm-hmm. writing on top of the ZK ZK rollup. Yeah. Where is the circuit going? Like where I don't. Where is the this, circuit going? That's a good question. Could, do you kind of understand why I'm confused here? Y- yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's 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 um. It's like I know a lot of the parts of this. Yeah. But the actual way that a smart, like an application on this rollup using ZKPs in its fullest form, mm. like for privacy, then is also connected to this main chain, yeah. base chain. This is where I get confused. Okay, so so I can try and describe the Aztec 3 architecture at a, an, at a high level. I'm about to record a one and a half hour presentation <laughs> that describes the full architecture. Um, I'll try to find it but if it's yeah, out so, so, by the um, time I release this. Yeah, but uh, so I'll try and give it a, a quick go. So the idea is, let's for, to start with, let's take a Noir contract. Okay. So um, at least once we've added all the, the functionality we, we, we need into a Noir, then you'll be able to define your contract as a set of public functions and private functions, where a public function can modify public state. So it'll be like state as in the kind of state that you have already in a Solidity contract, mm-hmm. you know, variables, mappings, etc. Is this all- state also on the rollup though? This yeah, public it's be, it's, state on a rollup? Yeah, yeah. So it's going to be... It's, it's, it would it's, be like what optimism has or something. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's going to be like part, of the, part of the L2's state database. Okay. And then your private functions, which modify private states, where this state will, again, it'll be part of the rollup, but it'll be encrypted. Um, and it's going to use um, the similar abstractions that Zcash use and as Anastic use, where you have this idea of a UTXO set, um, unspent transaction objects and a nullifier set, where the idea is like it, when you when you add, you can add encrypted data to the, to the UTXO set, and then you can effectively delete it, adding its uh, nullifier to, to the nullifier set. 
unless you have the decryption keys, you can't link a nullifier to a UTXO. And therefore, if you've deleted a UTXO, only, only you as the deleter know about that. Mm-hmm. But the challenge of UTXOs has always been like, there's no programmability in it. It's just about like transfers. Well, right? that, the, the, so the way we're representing it is a UTXO, it's just very abstract as in the state that it encodes is not at the protocol level. We don't know or care about it. It's not values. It's not identities. It's just 64 bytes of information. Okay. Very much like a storage slot in Ethereum. Uh, well, the idea is then the noir contract you're writing, that's the thing that's defining the rules around when, what state that the state is, like how it's encoded, how it's changes. Hmm. So you can write, say, a private token contract using a combination of these private and public functions. And the idea here is that these functions get converted into snark verification keys. And a contract on Aztec 3 is defined as the set of snark verification keys that correspond to all of the functions of that contract. Private and public. Yes. Does each contract then have like a unique way of the interaction between those two? Like, I'm just curious, mm. like, how do you still keep state? If like part of state is private and yeah. it's just a blob of data and yeah. it's not in any sort of like account system. Well, it's in a, it's in a Merkle tree. But it's private. And like, does this noir contract still, is it still able to go in and like retrieve information from it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's that's hard, um, but <laughs> yes. So so the idea is basically you when you're actually constructing noir proofs or simulating and executing etc. You're basically your your noir um, like the 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 Aztec client effectively has a private state store, and so when you're kind of when you're running a noir program um, to to make a proof etc. There's basically the the the, the noir intermediate representation has like state read opcodes, state write opcodes, and then when you're executing when you're comp- turning those opcodes into constraints then you've got to send requests to a private state store to say, hey, can I, can I read this, this information? Like, I've got a storage slot. Can I, get the, can, I, can I get the UTXO and the underlying data? And then that private state store, it has its own permission security rules to say, well, either yes, okay, I can, I'm going to give that to you, or like, no, <laughs> get lost. I'm not giving you my secret keys. Hmm. So the idea is that basically inside the layer two kind of like state databases, we have a contracts Merkle tree. Like when I use Merkle tree, that's in this context is basically synonymous with database. It's just a way of representing a database. Yeah. Um, so the Merkle tree contains leaves that represent contracts, and each leaf contract leaf is its own mini Merkle tree that contains all the verification keys, for all the functions. Okay. And so that uniquely defines the contract. So if you're sending a transaction on the Aztec network, um, you basically need to construct a proof over something that we call the kernel snark. So we're very much using the the Zexy nomenclature here, and this oh, yeah, is very yeah. much kind of a yeah, uh, very much was derived from, like Zexy was kind of the OG that attempted doing this. And what the kernel snark will do is, well, it'll fish out a verification key from the contracts tree uh, that you're requesting, check it exists, uh, and then you'll provide, the user will provide a proof um, for the correctness of that function call. That will then get verified recursively by the kernel circuit. And then the kernel circuit is going to do some logic. So it's going to basically grab the public inputs out of that snark circuit and those public inputs are going to be interpreted according to a contract ABI. And so basically, so some of the public inputs are going to represent chain state. Some of them are going to represent state updates that the user is trying to make, except things like that. And the kernel circuit's job is to check the validity of all of that to make sure that you're not lying. You know, you're not presenting the incorrect chain state. The user is not trying to make state reads that don't exist, etc. And so one kernel proof basically represents the correct execution of a private function. Hmm. The way we use recursion, the problem is that, take a, take a theory, for example, one transaction may be constructed out of multiple 
function calls to different contracts. If I'm, for example, if I'm trading on Uniswap, my Uniswap transaction is going to talk to at least two token um, smart contracts. There's probably other contracts that Uniswap talks to, to do things that get price fees, et cetera, et cetera. And so what you really need is composability. How do you get composability between multiple contracts in a ZK snark world with mm-hmm. privacy preserving properties? And this is where we, we, we add recursion. So we have the concept of a call stack. So the kernel circuit contains two data structures, um, basically arrays, like vectors um, that represent your private function calls and your public function calls. And when you start your transaction, your private function call stack has one item on it, the contract you're calling. But once it's processing that that function call, one of the results from that can be that your function call can instruct the kernel circuit to add more function calls to the function call stack. Hmm. And so the idea is what the kernel circuit's doing, it's it's a recursive structure where it's verifying a previous iteration of the, like a previous kernel circuit proof, if one exists, and then it's popping a function call off the function call stack, um, processing it, and then conditionally adding more function calls onto the function call stack, if that is required. Um, and basically what you can then do is by iteratively computing kernel circuit proofs, you can wind your way down to eventually that your function, your private function call stack being empty. And at that point, your proof is ready to be sent to a roll-up. Uh, a sequencer. To be, a sequencer, yes, ah. to, be, to, be, to be aggregated into the roll-up block. In this case, you've used the term recursion, yeah. but are you talking about recursion in the ZK sense yeah. or is it... It's snarks, yeah. recursive it, yeah. snarks. Okay. It, yeah, because the kernel circuit has to verify the correctness of function proofs, which is a, a snark circuit verifying a snark circuit. And also, if your transaction is consisting of more than one private function, then you have to comp- repeatedly compute kernel circuit proofs where at each iteration, your kernel circuit is verifying a proof of the kernel circuit at the previous layer, mm-hmm. uh, which is another layer of chunk of recursion. Wild. I do feel like I'm going to need to see slides. Yes. yes. <laughs> which I 100%. think we will see at some point. <laughs> yeah. Well, our architecture documents are finally public. We finally got them in a state where, we're, where we're, we're happy to show them to the world. And yeah, so, I want to see this. I want to walk through, yeah. like when I get to re-listen to this, I'll, I want to see it kind of with some imagery. So if you can send that my way, I'll add it to the show notes for folks as well. I will do, yeah. This is fascinating. Aztec 3 was teased on the last episode I did yeah. with on Aztec with Joe and Charlie. But like, at what stage is it? So, are, like, yeah, are you, is it close? Or is it like, or which pieces maybe are already built? Yeah. So we're, we're building it in, in anger, uh, but it's a very... In, in anger? Well, sorry, it's a turn of phrase. As <laughs> okay. in, we're like, we're going, we're going, we're going ham on it. As okay, in like, okay. it's the focus of the company. Mean, going ham on it? Uh, <laughs> Can I can I swear on your podcast? Yes, you can. Swear. I mean, ham stands for hard ass motherfucker. Oh, I okay. Uh, you're 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 working hard. Yeah. Okay, that's what you mean. <laughs> yeah. You know, Kobe created it. like a translator for um, basically like British mm. terms to for other people, and I feel like we need to use it a little bit with you. But okay. Possibly yes. <laughs> Go for it. Um, uh, so you're 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 working hard. We're on working it. hard on it, but okay. it's a, it's, it is an exceptionally complex project. Uh, no one's really attempted anything of this scale before. At least that's my biased take on it. Uh, so we're planning on a mainnet launch at the end of 2024. Okay. We don't want to do the thing where we're like overly optimistic with our timelines because this whole industry is very. It's got a bit of a bit of a problem with actually correctly mm-hmm. predicting launch dates. Mm-hmm. Um, but we are hoping to get a local developer testnet out by the end of the quarter. Uh, so that'll be something where you can deploy the ASIC three network. To your local machine, you can write noir contracts, deploy them to the local network, test them, run them. Wait, um, you mean this quarter? Yes. So like Q2? Yeah, and a Q2. Oh, wow. Um, 2023. Yeah. To be very transparent, um, this local testnet will not have 
provers enabled. Uh, the goal is to basically present the, the our planned manner of ex- interacting with the with the chain, how you write contracts, how you deploy them. Basically, presenting users with developers with the developer experience and getting feedback from them about how it works. Um, and then at, at a at a later point, when we're launching our testnet, we will we will integrate our Privatech into it hmm. because we're, we're developing everything in, in kind of in parallel. Wow, I want to ask about um, Aztec Connect and yes. ZK Money because hmm. these were other products that we did talk about on the last show. Yes. So you, what do we call it? disbanded them? No, you uh, sunset. So you've sunsetted. We've them. sunsetted okay. them. Yes. So so Aztec Connect was, I mean, w- one way we consider it is basically a bit of a trial run for Aztec Three, as in. At the time, our tech wasn't advanced enough to get general purpose programmability in, but we, mm-hmm. we did have the tech to produce a ZK ZK rollup. So Asset Connect goals was really to demonstrate, A, privacy is useful on yeah, chain. Yeah, yeah. It's not just a mixer. You can do cool things with it like DeFi. And that is valuable. And that, A, it's possible. You can deploy ZK ZK rollups to production. They, these are things you can build nowadays. Um, and Was to, it almost like a custom application? Yes. For on this very kind of like, not fully fleshed out, but like just the proof of concept, the MVP, I guess. Exactly, yes. The, the idea is that instead of the user's programming circuits, we as a, as a, as a first-party company, we, we programmed a small set of circuits you can, you can interact with on the Aztec Connect network. And yeah, basically what, part of it was also just for us to get experience about building ZKZ roles, deploying them to production, mm. um, actually shipping something uh, and you know, dogfooding our tech and making sure that we have the experience required to make it work. Um, we would not be able to build Aztec 3 without the experience of deploying Aztec Connect, without a shadow of a doubt. However, we've been having internal debates over several months about what to do with Aztec Connect because it was consuming quite a lot of resources, engineering resources from us. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it was our first go at doing a ZK ZK rollup. And so as the architects, I'm very very confident saying that it had some architecture problems. <laughs> it had some, you know, some issues that we wouldn't do again, um, that just design choices that... Uh, at the time when you're figuring things out for the first time, you know, you, what, what we ended up with was a system where you needed an enormous amount of domain knowledge to solve problems that mm. cropped up. Um, or And so we ended up in this place where a lot of our most senior engineers were basically working full time. Troubleshooting almost? Troubleshooting, or? keeping the network alive, building the improvements in to make it to improve its stability as it grew. And basically it was, it was it reached a point where effectively... As a company, we, we had two children. We had Aztec Connect and we had Aztec 3. And oh. uh, at some point, you know... You had to make a choice. You have to make a choice. You know, sometimes you've got to take your second most favorite child and take them up behind the shed. And... No, 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 no. <laughs> I'll stop the imagery there. Okay. Um, uh, no, I'm, I I don't give parenting advice. Um, but uh, basically, we, we needed to focus our resources on Aztec 3. Okay. Um, as, as an organization, you know, we're 50 people, which... For Web3 is large, for everything else is pretty tiny. Yeah. And we needed to pull our resources and focus entirely on Aztec 3. Got it. So that's what we're doing. Cool. So it sounds like, as we speak, you have sort of set a bit of a timeline. Yeah. 2024. What are the big building blocks that you still need to reach that? Do you feel like there's any additional research that's needed? Or like, do you feel like in general, the architecture is there and it's just implementation now? Yes, um, I'm fairly confident it's a pure execution problem now. Okay. A very big one. But in terms of the tech, Honk and Goblin Plonk ought to be more than good enough. Okay. Um, so yeah, there's like there's big things we need to execute on. Like we need to build our sequencer software and our prover, like oh, yes, our yes. third-party prover software, because we want to launch this from day one decentralized. Mm. And there are some unique challenges when you have privacy involved um, that um, 
change the architectures of like how to coordinate sequences and previous. Yeah, so there's this, it's a lot of complexity. There's lots of network engineering. There's lots of protocol engineering, um, lots of circuit building, circuit design. Um, but yeah, it's a very challenging execution problem, but but the technology is, is all there. Wow. You were one of the judges with me, actually, at yes. uh, the ZK Hack Lisbon event that we just did. I feel like, I mean, we just covered noir and what it's for. Mm-hmm. Do you think that, and this is, I don't want to put you on the spot here, but do you think that by the next time we do a hackathon, circa end of 2023, mm-hmm. that like people could actually be using noir to build like these sort of hackathon projects? That is the absolute intention. Um, Even though Aztec 3 is not ready. Yes. So, okay. so the, the idea is you don't need Aztec 3 for Noir. Um, Noir compiles straight straight on its own to ZK circuits. So oh, like yes, proving yes, keys, yes. verification keys, you can deploy verifiers to uh, Ethereum. Uh, you know, we have a ah, fantastic um, team building Noir. You know, we've got amazing people. Like this really is the brainchild of, uh, of Kev, um, yes. who... As close to an, an RL anon as I think you can get. He doesn't. He doesn't like. He doesn't have much of an online presence. But anyone... I have tried to get him on the show yes. multiple times. Oh dear. To no success so far. Yeah, um, but you, you'll you'll see you'll see him crop up from time to time in in, in photographs um, when you know if people are taking pictures and he's not he's not aware. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think any, anyone in the space knows about uh, like who's like deep in the space knows about Kev. Um, yeah. uh, like we've got an amazing team building this the goal is for it to be something that you can absolutely just do quickly the right programs you deploy hack around with so if we're in a place where in november where people are not comfortable using noir like that is a and you can hold me to account to this this is a massive failing on my part okay as as the ceo of aztec if we can't get noir into a state where it can be used like that so by next zk hack yeah uh in-person hackathon yeah we should be able to build things with noir Maybe you I mean, already can. You can. Yeah, you can do it today. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, there were, there, were, there were a couple of hackathon people that did programs with Noir. Noir as a product is relatively new. And so mm-hmm. we we definitely have work to do on the tool chains and all the tooling. But uh, like we've got an entire team now um, focusing on that. And yeah. it should be pretty plug and play fairly soon. Like given that, like, because CIRCOM has been out there a lot longer. Yeah. And it has, I mean, what's crazy is you've seen things like the Xerox Park mm-hmm. group just build all these yeah. tools around it. Does Noir need to build the same tools or is there something portable? Like, could you somehow use some of so, this? I'm not sure how much of it can be used just because the paradigms are very, very different between Noir and Circom. Because okay. Noir has its own language, its own intermediate representation where we had some very different design goals for Noir than Circom, uh, where for Noir, we wanted to make sure that most important thing for Noir is to present an abstraction layer for developers that's intuitive. So what Circom does um, is that the code you write to define your constraints in your circuit and the code you write to define the witness assignments to those constraints is different. Um, and that can cause a lot of foot guns for new developers. And it's it's not a very intuitive way of writing programs. What we wanted to do was unify those two, um, where, you know, when you you program your, like, like a regular language, and then the compiler front end is clever enough to figure out both what constraints that turns into and to derive the witness assignments. Um, with that, we have been largely successful. Uh, but it does mean that, you know, it's a different language. The tooling is, is not quite the same mm. um, we're also more uh, modular, which means that, uh, you know, we can't build like the, because it can pass to a serial, we then, you then need a kind of an integration with the backend, which adds, adds a small amount of integration complexity, but means it's, well, it's, it's, it's much easier. It pos- it's possible to add like other backends, other proving systems. Yeah, yeah. Without having to like hard code them. Yeah. I mean, it's not really hard code, I guess, in yeah, the yeah, language, yeah. but like whatever. Yeah, like, like as in like put a, do a PR into the Circon yeah. repo. You, you don't have to do that with Noir. And so, yeah, we're, we're very hopeful for the language. Um, 
we would like to see a lot more backends. Um, we'd love to see every backend, crypt, like every cryptography like module supporting Noir because I think it could be a way of creating relatively agnostic apples to apples benchmarks for all these proving systems. Yeah, that would uh, be good. Yeah. I want to, I think we're almost at time, mm. but I did want to talk to you just about like the general ZK space quickly, yes. um, where we're at. I mean, mm. we're recording this about two weeks after or not even, uh, after this, this crazy week of events yeah. that my, me, my team put yeah, together yeah. and you were at, and actually we're recording here in person yeah. at a place where we're going to be seeing more ZK stuff. Absolutely. ZK week at Zuzali. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about like you and I have been in yeah. space for a while. I think you're, you're 2017 like I am. So yeah, we're, we're, I mean, when it comes to the ZK, we are both, we're old, Ancient. you know, we're fossils, you know. <laughs> Uh, the elders. We are. I mean, it's 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 such an insane. It's funny though. The cryptographers who made this up in the eighties are kind of like you are not the elders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. I know. But yeah. the thing is, Anna, we're, we're cut from a different cloth. You know, those those OG cryptographers. They they were the academics. And, yes. in the ivory towers. But we do something a little different here. We do we do cryptography on the street. You yes. know, we don't we don't publish on Eurocrypt. We write HackMD observations. You know, yes. and we uh, ZK hustle. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> That's got to be a hackathon project soon, what? if it isn't already. Street crypto. Or street cri- crypto or ZK hustle. ZK hustle. I don't know what that is, but Yeah, we'll something. figure it out. It's going to be something. Um, <laughs> okay, so so I guess to the question you asked about, like, how has the space evolved? Yeah. I think one of the things that was really, really positive to see was just the energy in the last ZK hack you organized. Because really, for the first time, you had people coming to the space who were complete noobs, like not cryptographers, like didn't know much about ZK at all, and could actually build stuff, mm-hmm. actually build ZK applications with the tools and, um, and technology that, that this community has built. And that is really, really exciting because we've been trying to do that for years. I know. And it's always never been ready. It's always not been quite good enough. Or like, you've got to like, you know, you've got to understand cryptography. You've got to understand like very, very complicated tool chains to do anything. Um, and now things are slowly changing. Yes. Uh, we're kind of almost there now. And that's really exciting. I was just thinking that like last year you could do things, but you would often, and if you look at like the programs that existed, I mean, I think Xerox Park was an amazing example mm. of this where like they got things built, yeah. but they weren't built in a weekend. Yeah. It was often like someone would set out to build something and yeah. then realize that all of this tooling was missing. And so then would have yeah, to yeah, build yeah. the tooling and yeah. over a few months could kind of create that hackathon project. Yeah. Now, and I mean, those also developed into full comp, like full yeah, projects yeah. and companies and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. But this past, you know, this ZK hack was so crazy to see that like in 48 hours, people could actually yeah. start to do things. Yeah. And it's still hard. And it's, I don't think it's yeah. like, it's... Oh, it's still like chewing glass. Yeah. Yeah, it's not, I don't think any of us would say it's easy. And the tooling is nowhere near as good as, you know, well-established something. Yeah. languages and platforms. Um, but it's getting there. Yeah. You know? And You're also seeing, I mean, even this week, it was uh, ETH Tokyo is just happening. Mm-hmm. I think it's just wrapping up now. And there's a ton of projects that are using ZK. We've been seeing that at the ETH Global events and stuff like more and more ZK use. Yeah. And so, yeah, I can't, I can't wait to see what this year brings in terms of these projects. And just like the ideas that can come out of a hackathon. Mm-hmm. These are the things that could like be used yeah. by people like, yeah. and potentially have incredible impact. So it's very yeah. exciting. Absolutely. <laughs> cool. Zach, thanks for coming back on. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure. And um, thanks yeah. for doing this recap of sort of the history of Plonk and pre-Plonk and Aztec. 
I think for folks who hadn't heard those earlier episodes mm. or like newer, I think this could be really great to add some context. Most people have like heard about Plonk. Yeah. But not everyone knows where it came from. So this is cool. Yeah. Happy to talk about it. It's been a, it's been a long ride. When we're not done. Oh no, we barely started. <laughs> cool. All right. Thanks, Zach. Cool. Cheers. I want to say thank you to the podcast team, Tanya, Henrik, and Rachel. And to our listeners, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.